Come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do rejoice in being found in your house on another Sabbath morning. We have come just as we are. We can come no other way except through the precious blood of Jesus. And so we come and we lay all before your throne, asking that you would come and anoint each and every one of us. Let us feel the power of your presence today, for we ask that you would move from seat to seat, that every heart, mind and spirit will be touched with your power, with your anointing. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm reading from verse 10 to 20. I'm reading from the NIV. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, my words may be given me so that I will fiercely make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. May God bless the reading and hearing of those words this morning. Every morning, I pray on the full armour of God. I pray on each piece individually because I know how important it is After coming out of spiritualism, I need to be protected because I know how powerful the evil one is. But greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I know this. I have proved it. Everyday battles and the power to face them make us people of destiny. Who would have thought 27 years ago when I came as a placement from the college to this place that 27 years later I would still be coming to preach. God is so good. 
Well, it's good to me anyway, I don't know about you, but they were. One of the traits of the 21st century is being an instant age with its own quirky language, with words and phrases. And one such word is destiny. And it has been heard many, many times in recent years, with the church being described as the people of destiny. In Lamentations chapter 1, verse 9, Jerusalem was facing ruin, and one of the causes was she considered not her destiny, therefore her collapse was awesome. So let us, as Christians, consider our destiny as we face what has been described as the greatest evangelistic opportunity since the upper room. That is a statement of destiny, if ever there was one. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And so for my text, I go to chapter 1, verse 5. He, God, predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to his plan. Excuse me. We are not accidents going somewhere to happen. Our sovereign God has everything under his direction and control. Nothing takes him by surprise because he knew about it from eternity past, predestined. Unfortunately, there are too many people who think that the devil is calling the shots in this world. And when you think about it, that would make the devil more powerful than God. But we know that the Lord Jesus is all-powerful. Sooner or later, every believer discovers that the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. And that we face an enemy who is much stronger than we are, apart from the Lord. Paul used the military to illustrate to believers the conflict with Satan. He himself was chained to a Roman soldier, and his readers were familiar with soldiers and their equipment. And so these illustrations were favoured by him. Life was more terrifying for people in those days than for us today. They believed implicitly in evil spirits who filled the air and were determined to harm all mankind. Because at the time, they didn't have the armor of Jesus. They couldn't say, in the name of Jesus, you must go. But we know, we say that, and it's got to go. The word Paul uses, words, powers, authorities, rulers, are all names of different classes of these evil spirits. 
To him, the whole universe was a battleground. The Christian had not only to contend with the attacks of men, they had to contend with the attacks of spirit forces which were fighting against God. Our experience will tell us that there is an active power of evil in the world. Robert Louis Stevenson once said, you know the Caledonian railway station in Edinburgh? One cold, east windy morning, I met Satan there. We don't know what happened to Stevenson, but we recognize the experience. We have all felt the force of the evil influences which seeks to make us sin. Paul suddenly sees a picture ready-made. All this time he was chained by the wrist to a Roman soldier. Night and day a soldier was there to ensure that he wouldn't escape. Paul was literally an envoy in a chain. Now, he was the kind of a man who could get alongside anyone, and beyond doubt, he had talked often to the soldiers who were compelled to be so near him, and so the soldier's armour suggests a picture to him. The Christian, too, has his or her armour, and part by part, Paul takes the armour of the Roman soldier and he translates it into Christian terms. Sovereignty, responsibility. The Lord's eternal plan is quickly coming to pass in our day. Yet there are so many Christians who really don't understand that our God is sovereign and he's in control. Thinking they're masters of their own destiny not really believing they were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy, without blame, before him in love for his purpose. I know that God is sovereign. I know he's in control because I have to prove him. It's our destiny to be born for such a time as this. Joel describes the days of the outpouring of the Spirit as days of decay and desperation, which only experienced deliverance through the deluge of the Holy Spirit anointing. And are these days any different? We look around. Decay, desperation. People are desperate. And yet the one person that they could call on for help, they don't. These are those days, days of decay and desperation. We see all around us the extreme distress of nations. AIDS, drugs, abortion, unemployment, poverty, famine, terrorism, an endless list the world has to face. Many churches confronted by such a mountain of need have wilted and shrunk from the task. But I believe that Pentecost came for such a time as this. 
It's also our destiny to receive a powerful modern-day anointing. There are fresh outpourings for us, our children, and our children's children. God is not bound by the past or great characters of a bygone generation. We are destined for an anointing. Power is our privilege also. It was always so in scripture. Elijah and Elisha had this anointing. They needed it. Elijah asked for a Elisha asked for a double portion of spirit and he received it. He wasn't afraid to receive it. He was more afraid not to. He needed it. He wanted it. He asked for it, and he got it, the Holy Spirit anointing. Unfortunately, too many of our churches are looking back, seeing how things were good then. But it's gone. It's past. God has a new work to do, a new land to conquer, here in our valleys, a new people to be saved. Those who were saved, they've gone on to their rightful inheritance in glory. They have no need of us. The people out there do. And it's no good telling them how good God was then. They need to see how good God is now, today. How powerful he is and how powerful we can be when we receive the anointing of the Spirit. When I went forward to receive the anointing of the Spirit in Mount Zion in Astrid all those years ago, I never slept for four nights. I was on a high. I was buzzing. And today, all those years later, I still feel the buzz. And I remember saying at the time, even when I'm holding on sticks, I've got to feel that power. I didn't think I would be on sticks, but there you go. But the power is still real. The power is still the same. After my first year in university, I was having this pain in my back, and I was thinking, oh, I'm, I'm walking wrong, I'm doing something. And I went to the doctor, and he gave me an examination. He said, advanced arthritis of the spine. And I went to a specialist, and he asked me all these questions. Can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do the other? And he said, well, Mrs. Ashton, I don't understand how you can do what you're doing because your x-rays are telling me you should be in a wheelchair. That was 20-odd years ago. And I said to him that God has called me to his ministry. He will equip my every need according to his riches and glory. And 20-odd years over, I sometimes i got to use my elbow crutches when I'm shopping. But the power of God is still the same as it was then. And for the rest of the time, nearly an hour, I was with this Asian gentleman, lovely, lovely man. And he asked me, what did I mean? And I spoke to him about the healing of God, the laying on of hands. And he was, he, he was enthralled. So I spent the rest of the time talking about God. I bet he was sorry he asked me in the beginning. 
But that power is still there today. The power of the anointing of the Spirit. But part of our problem is that we are not stirred or shamed by the barrenness of our evangelical efforts. The local church is the womb of our soul winning. But all too often the womb is empty and barren. We need to pray as Hannah did in Samuel. She poured out her soul to God and he answered her as her barrenness was changed to fruitfulness. Let's pray for our churches that we receive and conceive in the Holy Ghost and bring forth a great number of spiritual children. Why should the God of Hannah, who listened and heard her most desperate cry, be any different to our God today? As far as I know, it's the same God, isn't it? I started by saying the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. There's a battle going on for the souls around us. But are we engaged in it? Or do we think it's an impossible task? We wrestle not is written across many churches as prayer meetings are discontinued. Leonard Ravenhill wrote, Let's face it, we are not living in a day of militant Christianity. The very suggestion throws many into a spiritual pout For they believe the Lord did all the fighting. They glibly tell us the battle has already been won at Calvary. Christ did win on Calvary. But that doesn't eliminate human responsibility. Who else has God got? Oh, yes. Poor mortals. But we are poor mortals filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Through prayer, we must enforce Christ's victory and see the devil give up his ill-gotten gains and release the souls in his grip. But they they don't know they're in the devil's grip. See them on Halloween, taking their little children around. All year they dress them up like angels and, and, and then they take them out on Halloween with horns and dressed as devils with pitchforks. They don't know that that is the evening when the evil spirits have got free reign on this world. That's why we need the full armour of God. Not just on Halloween. These spirits are open. They're innocent. They're young. It's a ground for the devil to get in on. I know a lot of people think I'm over the top. But when you've been involved in spiritualism and developing as a medium, and you see things levitate, you see people's faces changing in voice. I know. I know all about the evil. We have to ask God for a big chunk of our nation. But we need the empowering of the Spirit to accomplish this. If we don't receive the Holy Ghost empowering, we'll never do any lasting God in our communities. 
We must look not for memory, but for a destiny. If ever there was time for a powerful Christianity, it's now. If the kingdom of God is to advance, we need to prove that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Power, not apologies. Miracles, not words. It must be the order of the day. Look to God and you will receive the power and the equipment. The whole armor of God is at our disposal. He has given us everything we need for the battle. The belt of truth. It bound the soldier's tunic from which his sword hung. And it gave him freedom of movement. Others may guess or grope, but the Christian moves freely, quickly, because they know the truth. We know the truth. The breastplate of righteousness. When a person is clothed with righteousness, they are impregnable. Words are no defense against accusation, accusations, but a good life is. When Plato was accused of certain crimes, he answered, we must live in such a way as to prove that the accusations are a lie. The only way to meet, meet the accusations against Christianity is to show how good a Christian can be. We can't say one thing and our actions say something else. It's no good being a Sunday Christian. We need to show our Christianity every day. Do you know, I knew one minister when he used to go on holiday. If he was asked what his occupation was, he used to say he was a businessman. I am proud to be a Christian. I am proud to be called by God. I am proud to tell people who I am. And I tell people what I was. And how God loved me so much that he saved me and put me where I am today. How would it have been on that Good Friday if Jesus said, I'm a businessman, there's no point in me going to the cross. It's not going to accomplish anything. Then there are the sandals. May not have been the boots that Laura had. But in those days, the sandals were the sign that one was equipped and ready to move. The sign of a Christian is that they're eager to be on their way to share the gospel with others who have not heard it. The shield. The shield that Paul thinks about is that of a great oblong shield, which the heavily armoured warrior wore. One of the most dangerous weapons in ancient warfare was the fiery dart. It was a dart tipped with tow, fibres of hemp dipped in pitch. The pitch soaked the tow and was set alight and the dart was thrown and the oblong shield was made of two sections of wood glued together. When the shield was presented to the dart, the dart sunk into the wood and the flame was put out. Faith can deal with the darts of temptation. 
And with Paul, faith is always complete trust in Christ. When we walk close with Jesus, we're safe from temptation. What did we sing? When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. As we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. The helmet of salvation. Salvation is not something which looks back only. The salvation which is in Christ gives us forgiveness for the sins of the past and the strength to conquer the sins in the days to come. And then there's the sword. That was a funny sword. It's the word of God. The word of God is at once our weapon of defense against sin and our weapon of attack against the sins of the world. Apparently, Cromwell's Ironsides fought with a sword in one hand and a Bible in the other. We can never win God's battles without God's book. When I was in my church in Bethany, one of the uh, diaconate, she was talking about the sword of the Spirit, and she was talking to the children, and she had the Bible under her arm, and then she took it like a sword and said, "Word of God. the Word of God will conquer everything." And I often picture Glenda pulling that out like a sword and waving it about. (coughs) Finally, Paul's greatest weapon of all, prayer. Three things he says about prayer. One, it must be constant. Sometimes we only pray in times of great crises. But it's from daily prayer we find daily strength. Secondly, it must be intense. Limp prayer never got anyone anywhere. Prayer demands the concentration of every faculty on God. Thirdly, it must be unselfish. The Jew had a saying... Let a man unite himself with a community in prayers. I think that often our prayers are too much for ourselves and too little for others. We must learn to pray as much for others as for ourselves. Finally, Paul asks for the prayers of his friends for himself. And he asks not for comfort or peace or money, or power, but that he may yet be allowed to proclaim God's secret that his love is for all mankind. We do well to remember that every Christian leader, every Christian preacher needs his or her people to uphold their hands in prayer. Personally, I don't think there has ever been a more exciting time than right now to be alive and well on planet Earth. To see with our own eyes the greatest ingathering the church has ever known. We're on the brink 
of something powerful, something mighty is close to happening. I believe it in my spirit. We're on the cusp of something wonderful, fantastic. Let's give the devil, El Diabolos, a run for his money. Let's chase him out of our valleys. Let's claim these valleys for God. It's our destiny to be his witnesses locally, nationally, internationally. You young people, it's all in front of you. You are going to reap such fantastic things. That's all fogies we could just watch. It's exciting. It's wonderful. It's a new life, a new world. It's our destiny. The baptism in the spirit that Elisha received and many others, it's not some religious fad. It's not some badge of spiritual worth. Still less is it an experience to permit the charismatics to keep up with the Pentecostal Joneses. The Spirit came to prepare the nations, to speed up the evangelization of the world. So again, so excited, I can't even talk. Oh, the times are reaching their fulfillment. But I tell you now, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen now. Because God doesn't want Sunday Christians. He doesn't want deck chair Christians. He wants power-filled, anointing Christians of all ages. Even the little old lady in our home can be a powerful prayer warrior for God. They can spend the time with God that people who are in work or youngsters in, in university haven't got the time to do. There is something still for every one of us to do. God has given us the equipment to fight. The whole armour of God. He'll give us the empowering tool because he's given us a great commission. It is he who inspires the reapers to pick up the sickle and go into the fields already white with harvest. The challenge of the Great Commission is directed at a church endued with the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to meet the needs. Without that power, we can't do anything. So let us become his witnesses. Are you ready to put on the whole armor of God? If you are, then let's go and let us become the people of destiny. And to God be the glory. Amen.